I'm Mark Stedman, and I know all the chords. I'm Danny Smith, and this one goes up to 11. I'm John Hickman, and I'm best heard from within large concrete bunkers 37 miles away. My name is John Burns, and I'd just like to say thank you for the music, the songs I'm singing. Thanks for all the joy I'm bringing. Who can live without us? Okay. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard. This is the back few pages of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where we're writing our own little bits in. Or, if you like to think of it another way, you can think of it as one of those magazines where you uh, pay 50p for the first issue and you get like a bookshelf. Uh, and then you get all the books uh, that go in it. I had one for classical music because I was that kind of knob as a child. Um, did anyone else have anything like that? I, I'm just going to pick up on the fact you said bookshelf and I think you meant binder, unless no. the part work that you were buying was actually like part works for an MFI cabinet. I don't know. You could fucking totally do IKEA could do that. Um, like um, Billy bookcases. Send you a dowel rod with week one. But, but no, the first one, the first one you'd get, you'd get a whole shelf. Yeah. You'd get something substantial. Really good. Yeah. Talk it in shelf with issue one <laughs> it's just one screw per issue after that that's right mm-hmm. and after about 12 issues they just give up and it's like it's 60 quid to finish it <laughs> do, i mean do they exist you know when you get um if you've ever done a panini sticker album like football stickers or the only one i ever completed the bino and dandy 50th anniversary sticker album oh, and me too banger. completed that I actually no, I tell lie. I completed uh, Italia ninety as well, the uh, football one. But the um, but like you get to the end and you can send off for the last twenty five stickers, can't you? If you write them all the numbers down on a sheet of paper and send it off with a postal order or the right amount of stamps. With these part works, do you do? Can you send off for the last ones? Because I don't yes, think you, you can. I don't think you can see you? them at the bottom of the shelf of the news agents. Yeah, because they always they always stop them before they get to the end, and then, then there's like a completion fee to to, to sort of top it up. Go, going back to the um, the binder, you first the first one is like nine ninety nine p, and the rest are, uh, and it always has as on the advert like um, there are one hundred and twenty months of. Uh, of issues and there are going to be seven ninety nine each. There's always kind of a unspoken competition between me and my dad to be the first person that can do the maths <laughs> of <laughs> how much it would cost in total. <laughs> and um, you know, halfway through whatever either TV program we're both watching, one of us will go, hundred and seventy five <laughs> fucking quid. <laughs> so I'm interested in this uh, classical music one you got, Mark. Were they giving you like parts for a bassoon? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Nothing quite so interesting. There was a. It came with a magazine which I did not read, and each issue every month came with a CD that had a very Radio Four style. Um, radio play that had a narrative that somehow weaved in the music that they would be talking about. You know, it would be like this month this series all about Holst's The Planet Suite. And so as would... a kid, you bought a magazine podcast. Yeah, pretty much mate. Um, from, yeah, pretty much. It was called musical box or something. So, uh, here on Beware of the Leopard, in this uh, latter stage of the podcast, we've been writing our own guide entries to solve life's biggest problems, or at least to help increase our understanding of things in the everyday world. And uh, last month, we talked about going back to school, and this month, it's all about music. Do you ever get the question? I, I get frustrated by this question, and I nearly wrote about it. I'm always baffled by the question, do you like music? Huh. 
Has anybody ever asked? Have people ask you that? Uh, no, it is a question. It's a, I, I don't think I've ever been asked it because I guess I look like someone who likes music. <laughs> um, but I've definitely... <laughs> I've definitely heard it asked. And it's it's even a quote in a Michael Caine film. It's in the Ipcrest files. He says, do you like music? The thing I don't get is, um, I suppose it's similar. So someone said, oh, well, what sort of music do you like? And like the answer to that is nice music, good music. I really hate shit music. Yeah, but what they're asking, you know what they're asking. They're asking about genre. It's like, what genre of music do you identify with? And that, that's that's a bigger question. That's not about music. That's about what type of person you are. And they're expecting you to kind of get the get the, the, the cultural significance of that question. Yeah, I know, but I'm a complicated person. I can't no, define you're not a complicated... <laughs> Britpop. You like Britpop and nostalgia. Like it's I like, easy. I, li- I like old. I like um, trad folk. Uh, I nostalgia. Quite like, I quite like. Um, I quite like. Uh, I quite like. Yeah, I quite like early hip hop. Uh, but but you say that, and you think like like the, the the question is, do you like music? And you think, well, everybody likes music. But my mum will say, I don't like humour. You, right, you know one of those people. I don't like jokes. What? I don't like jokes. I don't. I don't like funny things. Oh wow! Isn't that what the new BBC Director General said? <laughs> <laughs> Please explain what what that is, because that is a person that exists. That is a genre of person that exists, and I'm baffled by them. Yeah, I think what she's saying is that she doesn't like people trying to make her laugh. Like I don't think she enjoys the silliness of it. Like uh, I think that. She is after something else from her entertainment other than laughing. Do things, but presumably things make her laugh. Occasionally, but she'll laugh more as like a social reflex because everybody else is laughing. I think she enjoys other people laughing more than she enjoys jokes. That's the only response I can have. I don't, yeah, yeah, I just can't. If if a comedian's on, on telly, she'll just go, well, that's silly. That would never happen. Uh, she, yeah, it's um, she, uh, she is lovely. Like I'm, I'm yeah, fond of her. She's good. Yeah, she's a good woman. She's she's good, lovely she's lady. Are you woman. telling me she's not a fan of the Baron Knights? Then Oh, now, now we're talking. Possibly, but the only <laughs> image that I have is like just her smiling and clapping along at, at Pontins. <laughs> I always um, I always hated because I've asked that question: what sort of music are you into? And um, I've always interrupted people before they answer and go and don't say a little bit of everything it's the most boring answer possible but i've i realized that it's the most boring question possible Mm. and so i shouldn't be i shouldn't be angry at a boring answer it's just a very (laughs) but i like there's no it's a nice bit of social lubricant there's no there's no right or wrong answer to it that that will ever invoke some sort of but it's weird to have a social conversation that has to have a right or wrong answer i mean that's not what conversation's for it shouldn't be a competition well if i if i may take this moment to train the listeners in how to speak to me in the way that danny thinks that he is speaking to these people so danny when you say to someone um what music do you like you're just you're just looking to kind of get a quick measure of them and try and find some affinity, right? Maybe. So I think if you said to me, what music are you into? I would get all tongue-tied and worried, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. I'd be like that gif of the woman with the maths, like yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking of all the different things. I think if you actually said to me, like, oh, what are you listening to at the moment? I could tell you that, but what I couldn't tell you is what I like, because what I like is very grounded in where I am and what I'm doing and all these other things. 
But I think if you asked me what I'd listen to today, I could tell you and you'd know who I was. You hedged me off there, mate, because I like this is what I replaced it with. If I was to press play on your music player right now, what song would be on? A modern day equivalent is like what's on your, you know, Spotify Discover Weekly or something. Yes. Yeah. Although mine was terrible this week, but yes. Yeah, they're getting weird. I always, uh, whenever I'm asked that question, I always give a like a, a weird answer. So it's like uh, children's nursery rhymes at the moment, like mostly just no, I'm really into the nursery rhyme scene. I think it's going to be massive soon. Or sea shanties. Yeah, that li- that literally was bigger a couple of years ago. They made a film about it last year. It's a nice I film. That. I watched that. Yeah. It was fucking awful. Of course you thought it was awful because, you know. Is this one of those things that happened while I was abroad and now I'm not going to believe actually happened? No, no, you were you were back. It was only last year. Um, it was a, the, the big, the band, The Fisherman's Friends, got huge. Yeah, that's it. Fuck and, off. Uh, so big. <laughs> So big they made a film out of them. Yeah. And they're fishermen. No, well, yeah, well, the real ones were, yeah. The ones in the film were actors. <laughs> some of them, some of them were actual fishermen's friends. <laughs> they, had an, they had a number one album. The fishermen put a lot of friends on the guest list for the gigs. <laughs> so a far better question, of course, is not what music you like, but um, I think what, what was the first thing that made you decide that music was a thing for you? What what made music come out of the background and into the foreground as a as a as a cultural weight? I suppose. Well, that makes me think about um, the. This was ages ago. I came across this article, and people were talking about songs that were big when you were a teenager. And I think specifically around the age of about 14. And uh, you can visit the official charts website. And I mean, it wants you to put in your, your birth date, but we can do maths. Um, so while you guys are looking yours up, I'll run, I'll run through my, uh, my, my top 10. Um, so uh, coming in at number 10 is uh, Remember Me by Blue Boy. In at number nine, Show Me Love by Robin S. That's got to be like on its third re-release. Uh, eight is You Got the Love by uh, The Source featuring Candy Statton. Never been a bad version of that song. Nope. Never been Agreed. a bad version. Um, um, here, even, here goes. Even flow. You've got the love. You've got the love. Yeah. <laughs> yep, there's been a bad version. Okay, <clears> just, just then. Uh, no mercy. Where do you go? Uh, and uh, Peter Andre, natural. Uh, the uh, the Bee Gees with alone. Oh, wow. Uh, Sasha on court and foie at number two. Uh, sorry, at number four. Uh, number three is Don't You Love Me by Eternal. Number two, uh, Rush by Cooler Shaker. Remember them. And then at number one, actually, a quite a good song is Don't Speak by No Doubt. Oh wow! You mm-hmm. got the jackpot there. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good. So, so my first girlfriend, um, we had "Don't Speak" as our song that's because a weird I one. took her to a No Doubt concert. Oh, okay, that's Oops. nice. Yeah, but "Don't Speak" is a it's a song about breaking up and not being in love with the person that you once was in love with and finding them kind of intolerable. Yeah. Uh, so that became more and more cromulent as as our relationship went on, which is I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, wow. Well, you're not with the person anymore, so I think the I think the only song from that kind of it's a bit, a bit later, but the only worst song I could think of is if if your song was Maps by the AAS. But I was going to say, I've been, there's, there's very little in the top ten when I, I'm a little bit older than you. But the top ten is stuffed full of essentially uh, songs from films or television programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince doing Bat Dance, uh, Gladys Knight's wow. License to Kill theme. Um, oh, wow. A Jason Donovan single. 
uh, and then but she get further from a film, John? Or, or well, no, just from being just Jason off Donovan. of Jason Donovan. So, you, so your so your your thesis on Jason Donovan is he's just telly. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not aware that Jason. I mean, Donovan he's not really music. Is he did he, a lot of. Uh, I like Jason, but I don't think he did a lot of films. Um, although in 1970s... He did have a lovely coat, though. 1970s, Australian films are excellent. A lot of money was pumped into the Australian Film Corporation by the Australian government to try and put Australia on the cultural map. And there's loads of really good and interesting films coming out of Australia. Unfortunately, there's only about five actors. And they <laughs> mostly star Jason's dad, Terence, who was later in Home and Away, who is not a very good actor. Also, John, their map's upside down, so that doesn't help them. <laughs> it was actually a bit of a gold rush for blaggers and chances so there's lots of really interesting art projects made by people that wouldn't normally be involved in arty subjects or or Mm. necessarily like have that as their first ambition they were just people making films just to get the grants like mad max like uh even though the director like was a um huge like really into art and arty film but everyone else involved in that project were just kind of then they're in it for the money and and hence why um the first two films are an insane death trap stunt person um lawsuit waiting to happen um where literally like the safety on set was was the secondary uh tertiary maybe the, the fourthly concern and and um people were just getting paid to do weird silly shit so what you're saying then, Danny, is it is that in the seventies the Australian film was a was a big mad cash grab. So it was kind of like Birmingham in the two thousands to two thousand and twenty, except that they actually made Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> they produced something. <laughs> but I thought, so as we talking of Birmingham, the number sixteen were Fuzzbox. And in, if you go further down the charts, you've got Fuzzbox, Atomic uh Atomic City by Holly Johnson. You've got a little bit of the bangles. You've got Banana Rama, Transvision Oh, which Bank. bangles is it? Uh, Cruel Summer, which is a re It's, it's, bang, it's Bangles Birmingham. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> so it's a Banana Rama. Oh, it's Banana Rama um, Birmingham. No, just good. <laughs> so now we know the answer to uh, the question what music do you like? Banana Rama. I, I do. I do like Banana Rama. I like Banana Rama. I like. Female fronted uh, bands. That's what you like, John. Guy called, like guy called Gerard. I like UB40. They're there at number 46. I could tell you a um, bit of Julian Cope at 27. Um, Ferry, Ferry Across the Mersey by Jerry Marsden, Horry Johnson. Oh, wasn't that, a, wasn't that a charity? It was, um, yeah, Hillsborough. For Hillsborough, uh, yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I don't Ro- remember that Ro- at all. No, number number one was No Limit by Two Unlimited. Mm. Great record. That's a great record. I'd listen to that. I, I'm not sure I would. No. Um, the only objectively good song is Ordinary World by Duran Duran. Oh, such a belter. Yeah, it's a cracker. It's one of my one of my absolute. Like I'm not a Duran Duran like fan, but I really dig that song. I'd just like to uh, at this point stand up for like period Duran Duran and say that their covers album is stunning. Hmm. Even the one where they do a weird, isn't there one where they do a weird Jamaican accent? So well, they do, they do a lot of things. They do, um, uh, they do a cover uh, of Nine One One is a joke, where uh, very rich white Simon Le Bon claims that um, ambulances won't come to his house because he's black. Yes, um, but- yes. What I was confusing uh, myself with was uh, was it Ten CC? Who is it who did? Um, I don't like reggae. Uh, that was yeah. I don't like cricket. Ten CC number one when I was born. Ah, well there you go. Uh, all right then, uh, Daniel. What 
what have we got in your list? Um, my, my number one is I will love, always love you, but uh, let's face it, inevitably the laws of probability means that one of us would have had that. Yeah. That or um, the Brian, Brian Adams, Adams or Meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we're all um, too old for Meatloaf, but yeah. But out of them, it's weird because um, The Shaman appeared twice. Mm. That's my Shaman. Um, Forever People... Oh no! It's the shaman and um, and the prodigy. Sorry, I was hmm. getting them mixed up in my little mind. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, they, they appear twice. Uh, Gloria Estefan is um, is at number ten. I'd listen to that shit all day. I don't think Gloria That's Estefan not hold me, released kiss a me. bad Red Bull. Please me no, that the, one. It's no? Miami hit mix. Oh, would that have been like a mega mix of Miami Sound Machine? I think maybe. I don't know the track, but because mega mixes were a thing, I've, I've not heard a bad song by uh, Gloria Estefan, so I'd be I'd be down to listen to that. I've also got Slam Jam by the WWF Superstar. Oh yes, mate. Oh wow. I can't remember that song. It's got lots of clips of wrestler catchphrases, and then uh, some session singers singing the chorus. Oh, now you know everything. Okay, so I'd listen um, to that. It was in that period where, like, there was there were about three of those songs that came uh, around the same time. There was a Mario Brothers one, which was just the do 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 and a rap, I think. Do the Mario. <laughs> um, yeah, there were a couple, a couple of those kind of songs, but yeah, the the uh, the WrestleMania thing, um, yeah, very very much uh, remember that. So all told, there's probably about seven of the um, of the top ten that I'd listen to now. Um, and that's including the Slam Jam one, but that would be a nostalgia thing. So, I mean, it holds water, the theory that you kind of um, develop your musical tastes when you're 14. Yeah, it's a, it's a switching on period, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, there's 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 two definite. The the first, the last, or blah, the first two, number one and number two, would, would be songs I'd listen to again. Uh, I could probably quite happily put Rush by Cooler Shaker on my running playlist because uh, it's got enough of a of a driving beat um but there's not a lot else that i would really i'd really come back to so in in terms of the, the way that the chart on your 14th birthday might say something about who you are musically i think for me it's the fact that I, as i look further down the charts i find more and more things that i'm comfortable with mm. and i was very very much and and this isn't me trying to sound like in any way cooler than anyone else but this is 1993, so it was just before Britpop, so just before the stuff that I liked became actually popular, Mm -hmm. I was very much a top 50 to top 75 kind of listener. Um, that's, I'm I'm much more comfortable down, down there. And I remember feeling very frustrated that none of my music was in the charts. Sure. Yeah. I never had that problem. I'm happy with number 15, which is, uh, Ready to Go by Republica. That's a great song. Yep. 17, Let Me Clear My Throat. That's great. I I saw, um, that's a great track. I saw Republica recently, like last year. Mm. Oh, um, Saffron's still going. Uh, her voice, her voice hasn't hasn't held. Oh, hasn't I mean, she held. didn't have a spectacular uh, one, from what I remember. She had a, a fairly distinctive one, but it wasn't sort of. Well, how did you get to number one on essentially a bob? <laughs> <laughs> Betty Boo did it. No, Betty mm. Boo made lots of really good records. Betty Boo was a phenomenal MC. I will not argue she was a incredible MC, and a lot of her tracks were still bangers. I would totally do. You know, someone's just started a Queen podcast where they go through every Queen record. I would definitely do a Betty Boo one if anybody wants to do that. Doing the Do, it's got the title Doing there. Doing the Do. I mean, that's the song. That's the one that she had. <laughs> we got that. So, so that's, that's tune, tune in next week. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
what we ostensibly do uh, on this program uh, now is we write things. Um, we we go away we and, and we, we sequester ourselves and we write uh, a new entry for the guide on the topic uh, that one of us has chosen in this month. It is music. Uh, and first uh, up to the lectern to present what he has writ is Danny Smith. Uh, this is one of those ones where I didn't have a clear... Um, we didn't have a clear goal or particular message that I wanted. I just kind of, I had a few cool lines that I I wanted to hit and I just took the pen out for a walk. Ooh, that's a lovely phrase. I've stolen that. I think, I think it's a Picasso line. Um, but I, uh, looking back, I did definitely get a bit obsessed with, um, how Douglas Adams plays with context mm-hmm. and, um, the, the little visual, uh, the little, uh, verbal, um, ticks that he kind of has in the same way that somebody doing an impression and that particular rhythm and yeah somebody doing an impression of somebody else does their and exaggerates their 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 voice a little bit i I think this one not suffers from it but definitely has that in it yeah i wonder about that because obviously we we've talked about uh owen colford's work and and you know none of us have, have necessarily been uh super effusive about it but that must have been a consideration for him to he he wants to write a story in the universe he doesn't necessarily want to be doing a caricature or, or a rote impersonation of douglas adams yeah uh i i haven't read it so i i, I wouldn't know i mean and there is there is a lot to be said if you're picking up on the themes of the author you're going to pick up on the voice as well mm-hmm. like somebody writing terry pratchett for instance you know, you can't talk about social mobility and living in cities and, you know, uh, gender equality in the way that he did without actually sounding like him a little bit. I, I, I read something recently, which was really interesting about, um, so Neil Gaiman obviously worked with Terry Pratchett quite a lot and he was talking about Terry Pratchett and he was saying that um, despite the way that he wrote, Terry Pratchett wasn't necessarily a nice person to be around Mm -hmm. he was actually incredibly angry about a lot of social injustices and a lot of the stuff that he put into his work in a albeit very nice way Mm -hmm. he felt very very strongly about and and would be so like and i know that douglas adams does pick up on a lot of things um especially like i'd say some of his stuff is quite nihilistic yeah certainly the end of the well fourth book is is very much it's, it's or at least existential mm. so i like I, I like it makes me wonder like as a person was he quite like thoughtful about those things or was he quite quite affected by those themes that he obviously cared a lot about or enough to put him in his work i'm i'm not sure i, I think the consensus um this is based on me recently rereading the intro to the salmon of doubt which is like the collected odds and ends published after Douglas died. And I think he was, he was socially aware, but he didn't let that affect his enjoyment of the world, I think. So he was obviously very ecologically aware, but that wasn't going to stop him buying the latest car or gadget that he wanted or flying across the Atlantic, Um, which in, uh, in a way is a very valid a uh, form of dismissing the idea, which is probably pushed mostly by uh, climate-denying um, uh, big fuel um, conglomerates, that the climate change is our responsibility, for example, which it, it really fucking isn't. It's theirs. So, um, 
you know, capitalism of a vasy system and all that. So, um, I, yeah, I suspect Douglas was quite healthy in that respect. But in the ways that his work kind of deals with existential and nihilistic things and everything being in context of a massive infinite universe where nothing quite matters enough for it not to be a joke, like, do you think he was a more thoughtful or more carefree or a more um, troubled person because of those themes that reflect in his work? I think part of that thing is the that sort of jump from the huge macro to the micro stuff all the time, that sort of crash zoom thing that he does a lot is a, re, a sort of maybe a reaction against the idea that, uh, you know, we are essentially all fucked because we're going to hurtling into the sun and yet or oh, the earth's going to be destroyed or whatever. So, um, you know, those micro things, those scratches on your, um, fish tank or the toothpicks uh the the you know the message on the toothpicks or whatever that that is they're minute things to worry about but shit you can't really worry about the big things can you because of the inevitability of them space is exactly that as such it has no medium to transmit sound at all But it would still be true to say, if a little prosaic, that the universe is filled with music. Not many of our researchers finish university, or indeed start, but the most popular subject taken, even before more useful subjects for their current careers like speed anthropology or combat journalism, is comparative biology. Of course, when they find out the majority of the next four years isn't going to be taken with figuring out which of their genitals will fit into a variety of other species' genitals, they wander off and try more practical avenues. Which is a shame, because if they had, they would have learned this wonderful and baffling fact. Every sentient species in the universe that has the facility to hear makes and enjoys music of some sort. Of course, had they finished the course, they would probably try to debate or at least clarify the terms hear and music, which works out for us because they're actually paid by the word. The music varies greatly over the myriad configurations of ear and sound. The clitalitarians of Syncopated 7, for example, are born with various pockets filled with organic materials that means they rattle and hiss as they move, the timbre and rhythm changing as their bodies age meaning when families dance together, it creates a celebration of syncopation and joy. The Nosh dwellers of the Shrieking Moon, who have up to this point stubbornly refused to evolve away their ears, use various sizes and thicknesses of earplugs to create different timbres and layers of silence to enjoy. Music being such a constant throughout the universe, it's perhaps inevitable, if not surprising, that nearly all organised societies use pieces of music to represent themselves. These anthems are chosen with pride to reflect the culture they're from, conventional wisdom being to avoid any species or race that chooses grandiose and pompous themes, especially avoiding meaningless platitudes like hope and aggressive warlike words like glory. Judging the merits of a nation or world by the song that represents it has become so popular that a song competition has become the preferred method of adjudicating all conflict and trade deals on a planetary scale. Thus, the Galactic Song Contest became the most important institution and mechanism of governing in recorded history. 
Most recently, the leaders of the Galactic Council of Elders were elected from the planet Felchergobble after contributing a song that can only be sung by a dying ballerina after living a life of such fragile and sublime beauty that the lament at its loss changed the lives of all that heard it. Neighbouring planet and long-term petty rivals the Hemdonronerons still gave them null point, but no system's perfect. What's a what's what's a shrieking moon song like, mate? Uh, shrieking. I mean, uh, if, do you not know the word? Yep. I, yes. <laughs> does it does it have to pause for breath, or is it a constant? No, it's pretty much constant. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. No, that's better. It's it would it would be the pausing for breath. I think that would be the because you just you just be on edge waiting for it to shriek again. Isn't the shrieking moon just like the the latest in a long list of? weird descriptions that most of the horrible journalism newspapers use to get us interested in looking at the sky. It's super wolf blood moon. It's shrieking moon. <laughs> those it's- terms those terms have been around for absolutely ages. Every month has it has its own has its own moon. Um it's just that they picked up on it particularly recently, yeah. Been a banging moon the last couple of days, lads. Absolute absolutely banging. My my favourite line of that is the first one. Space is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, makes me nice. think, did I steal that? I've not heard it, and it's it's not from any of the books that I remember. It, it, channel, it, it channels Adam's-y kind of ideas really, really, really well, but I think I think it's I think it's nearly coined, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced I must have stolen that, because it's... I can't have come up with that. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it came out. I think no false humility here, please. I think the next one I'm going to try and capture Adams's nihilism, Ooh. or existen- ex- existentialism rather than nihilism. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think part of the um, part of the thing that makes this idea work is the fact that the nearest kind of like analog for what we actually have in reality to to what you've pitched here is. Um, Maybe the General Secretary of the United Nations, but probably more specifically the revolving chair of being the head of the EU. The way that just kind of moves around, it seems pretty arbitrary. I know it's not actually linked to Eurovision, but it's so random that you get to be in charge of the EU for a little bit that they might as well have chosen it by songs. (laughs) <laughs> it's like how they um they get the the president of fifa isn't it they just get the four most corrupt people in the room <laughs> and uh throw a dart but how do you how do you judge the corruptness do they have a corrupt off the, the decisions decided beforehand like every, everyone's uh... <laughs> <laughs> so danny if if you were kind of like worried about actually being in charge for a bit i guess you could get a vogue on in to write the lyrics to your song to kind of throw the competition like they did with father ted <laughs> uh yeah i, I... <laughs> But I I wouldn't I because part of the Eurovision Song Contest is like how kind of shit some of the things are. Like you'd never know. Like like if you were trying to lose it, mm-hmm. you never know if people would be really into that. I mean, somebody entered a fucking metal band and they've won. Oh, that that's 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 really common now. That's a thing that happens every because I've, I've been watching it every year for the last 6 and years. And that literally sent me on a episode that li- like and I'm not I'm not exaggerating the terms here and I'm not blithely using mental health terms. I had what can only be described as a manic uh, episode after watching Eurovision Song Contest 
because I thought the when Lordy won, yeah, I thought the world was ending. Like I genuinely somehow I'd mixed it up. I was like, well, boundaries are coming down. Nothing means anything anymore. Like the fucking like this is a symptom of a society that has absolutely lost its way. Like we we do, nothing means anything. Um, and I decided right, I'm going out clubbing. I'm gonna I'm gonna dance to till the planet explodes. And my mate Matt had to kind of follow me. Like, he didn't want to go out, but he was like, oh, you can't go out on your own. I was like, I'm going out anyway. And he had to follow me. And we went to a club on a, like a, yeah. And uh, I, I and I remember feeling a genuinely mentally healthy bad about when that happened. It tr- kind of triggered off an episode in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about that, but I do want to kind of make a joke about it. I don't know. No, by all means, make we... a joke about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to do. I, I usually just sit with a... <laughs> couple of glasses of whiskey and enjoy it with twitter yeah i I mean let's face it like it's not the thing itself it's like it's you know i'm not exactly um i'm not exactly on on a on a path of mental wellness (laughs) who amongst us is apart from john um, hickman who's just like normal oh god yeah yeah aggressively normal (laughs) aggressively normal so next up then is uh mr hickman Hello. You've been writing about music. That's the idea of the show. The idea of the joke. Yeah. Um, so um, I think the the idea that spawned this was something like if if the guide was going to tell you how you can make a book uh, out of music whilst ah. you're travelling around, just kind of like you know, supplement things, busk um, your way through the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what what would the what would the guide say to someone who wanted to um make a few quid using their musical talents? This is a chord. This is another. This is a third. Now form an interconnected network of shell companies which crisscrosses through several galactic tax jurisdictions. This well-worn axiom on keeping rock simple, having a go, and not overthinking it, is generally attributed to Hot Black Desartio, the infamous and sometimes dead frontman of Plutonium Rock Giant's disaster area, a man who has more lawyers and accountants than he's had vibroplectrums, and who met his bandmates at the highly selective school Thrigviox Hall. In all its forms across the galaxy, rock and roll promises an accessible path to success, riches and many willing sexual partners, often at the same time. The promise of being a rock star is this, regardless of your background, with a little bit of practice and a hell of a lot of attitude, three or four young friends can carve a trail of excess across the stars, while banking a ton of money and collecting a lot of damp underwear. To this end, youngsters might form a garage band with the hope of achieving galactic megastardom. It's certainly true that what starts in the parents' garage could one day lead to a sellout tour of the biggest trinasiums in the Western Spiral Arm, but it's also true that it's hard to achieve this when the garage is 8 foot by 8 foot and already contains a partly built Suzuki motorcycle, 10 half full cans of paint and a 1989 calendar of page 3 stunner Linda Lusardi. 
On the other hand, the transition from spotty kid to swaggering success does seem to come more easily if your parents' garage is occasionally used for winter storage of a Class 7 Cundran Elite, the top-of-the-range solar flare sailing yacht, which is capable of cruising 37 passengers, not including private chefs and sommeliers, at 0.2 past light speed for up to 428 years. Perhaps then it should come as no surprise that most successful rock stars either already own an artisanal cheese farm or subsequently retire from music to run one. Musically inclined hitchhikers who are not dairy farming adjacent may be able to earn a little extra money by busking but should be aware of local bylaws and always try to position themselves well away from any Vogon poets performing on the same street. It's also possible to earn money playing covers in some pubs and restaurants. This is relatively simple to do. For example, most disaster area songs can be played in a stripped back style by simply dropping the accountancy and focusing on just three chords. I know uh, I know that how we judge these things aren't and shouldn't be how they stack up to Adams himself. Um, like I'd like to think that you know we can appreciate things too, but I love that observation of um, people in rock bands being from moneyed backgrounds or privileged backgrounds, and I think it's a very Adamsy, Adamsy observation. It's also got way truer since he would have observed it. Yeah, particularly the guitar bands of the two thousands and the two thousand tens. Yeah, he wasn't around for the Brit School. That's where they all come from now. Yeah, so uh, they, they before that they would have become art school bands. Yeah. Um, and having been to art school and had a, a a lot of bands come from those people that just wanted to do something vaguely creative for four years rather than actually go to university, um, I think it's a good observation. I never got on with, and I uh, the, the I understand that there is a romanticism, and maybe it's just the my tic, my my particular area of neurodiversity or whatever, but. And I think I'm the only one among the four of us, but I have no real tolerance for the just give it a go kind of thing in music. Like I want my musicians to be not only good, but to want to be good. Like the the whole performative from the likes of Oasis to, to Pete Doherty, like the people who performatively want to show you how hard they're not trying to be good at music. Like none of that charms me. And, and I like, I want my musicians to a be good and also to show off a little bit. And uh, I don't know if it's a partly a British thing or whatever, but, and, and like, there's maybe one reason why punk never really resonated with me because I understand it from a, like a social perspective, but I just, I don't, I, I want to listen to like good musicians. I, I don't get the romanticism around actively bad musicians and why that's fun. The I funny thing is, is like um, Sid Vicious actually was an absolute virtuoso Mark uh, King level slap bass player, but he was a bit like um, Les Dawson. You know, you've got to be really good to play <laughs> the bass that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that. I was like, he had people playing bass backstage in his 
Sid Vicious took two strings of his bass off because it was confusing him, <laughs> which was a thing that I, I, mean, I, as a man who played bass in bands for many years, uh, I'd never ventured off the top string unless it was strictly necessary because the top string was the one where I'd put little stickers off video. You know, when you used to have video libraries and you'd get like, um, not like Blockbuster, but like when you had your own video library that looked like books that you put on a shelf. Mm, put on the shelf that you've been buying over yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many years. But you'd, you'd have your one tape that was like dad's tape, do not touch. And you'd have like the next set was all the faulty towers or whatever. But you'd have like all these things. You'd have a little paper that wrote them all down. It was 801A1 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, the video cassette things went up to about G on their stickers. So you could <laughs> ah, put all handy. the stickers on the top of your bass, which told you which <laughs> note it was on the top string. And I can't see on the next string. I couldn't really look over. They didn't have so many shops and flats though, did they? So. Well, yeah, but all, but also, so I used to have that. I used to have what uh, chords the song was written across the top of the um, set list on the floor as well. <laughs> I couldn't do it now. My eyesight wouldn't wear it. But uh, that's how I used to play bass. Your memory's bad. My, my fr- my friend uh, was, uh, he played mediocre guitar. Like, it, you know, one of those people that had maybe three lessons and then occasionally sat down and noodled while they were high. Like, that's the sort of guitarist he was. And then he got a bass guitar. I won't go ahead and he got it, but he got one. Um, and one day he came up to me and went, Dan, I can play bass guitar now. And I was like, what do you mean now? And he went, <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I, I can play Finished it. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? He went, right, last night I took a fucking huge amount of mushrooms and I locked the door of my room with my bass guitar and I was playing for like 14 straight hours and now I'm brilliant at bass guitar. Oh, my God. And was he? Yeah, that's the annoying thing. That's the really fucking annoying thing. He was incredibly good at bass guitar after like it like in a day in, in 14 intense hours of fucking playing it he got really good at it like <laughs> independently like wow and i'm like I, I i he he's very he was a very boastful person and i was perfectly a ready to be like boastful person so i was perfectly ready to like prick that bubble mm-hmm. and so i was like oh go on then play some bass and he got on the bass bow, and he was bow, really bow, fucking bow. good i was like I mean, seriously, Dan, if you just say someone play some bass, how can you fucking tell if it's any good or not? It's just noise. The I did this for years and I, I became bass player because when I was in, I was originally the lead guitarist in the band and then we got a better guitarist. So I had to get demoted. It was like, um, we got to like, getting relegated. Then we got a, rhythm, a guitarist who was better at rhythm than me and I got re- fucking relegated. Then I became bass player. And then I'm, I was really glad when I got relegated to keyboards. And when I got relegated to like playing bowls and not being in the band, that was even better. Oh, uh, we've got, we've got some on rhythm guitar. We're going to demote you. Uh, well, uh, so, so maracas. No, we've already got a maracas. I've got no, player, I've got no sense of rhythm, you, which you think you, you have to be a bass be, player. You're going to have to be a bass guitarist. Oh no. I'm just amazed <laughs> to learn that one of my friends was in the polyphonic spree. How many people were in this fucking band, John? <laughs> well, I t- tell you what, we did have a drummer that would have been suitable for the polyphonic spree the once, but I got really annoyed with him. And uh, we were queuing up. Demoted costumes. We were, que- <laughs> we, we were queuing up for the uh, we were queuing up for the um, uh, the hummingbird, the, Aca- uh, the academy or the O2 in Birmingham. You had to queue to get into your own gigs, didn't you? Back then, well, you were so, yeah. so big, your band. <laughs> <laughs> but Pink used to get there before us and claim they were in the band. And 
he got the, but the drummer had got some chips. I got very annoyed with him. And I was like, it was, he used to wear a hat, which is one of the things that annoyed me about him. And I used to like, Oh, he's got some chips from the chip shop and I was eating about half of them and the other ones I was just putting on his hat. <laughs> uh, and that was how I sacked him. All right, well, let us move along to John Bounds. Now, John has been writing about music. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm No, 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 no. I'm not writing about music because I don't know how, where any of the notes go or anything because <laughs> uh, I haven't got a video library anymore. Um, it's difficult to put Netflix across the top of your... Um, semi acoustic. Um, but Where's no, the N? <laughs> I'm looking for an N sharp. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, like, it's, it's like as you say. There's a, don't give me any of that chord bollocks. Just tell me where to put your fingers. But <laughs> I know. But I think because I was, I love music. I don't understand music. I love music. But the reason mm-hmm. I got into music when I was a, a nipper and what drove me to understand music was because essentially I wanted to impress other people because I knew about music. So uh, this is a little uh, story, maybe. This about, is a little ditty. It's about how, um, this is about, uh, this is what I think the guide would do. The guide would not talk to you about music. The guide would talk to you about how to use music to your own advantage. So this mm. is uh, about how to impress people with your music taste. Galactopedia has a crowdsourced and scattergun approach to what is notable in the galaxy, and this is nowhere as obvious and troublesome as on the subject of music. As such, there are long entries on obscure disaster area bootlegs and the infinite number of bass players who produce the work of Earthbound The Fall, while there is a placeholder entry only for the historically important, perfectly normal beast harvesting work songs of Hlamuela. It is, however, free on the sub-Ethernet, and has, as such, long supplanted the Encyclopedia Galactica as the primary source of research. The Hitchhiker's Guide has sidestepped the issues these publications have by copying freely from both, adding errors and, when it comes to music, addressing mainly how to use pretending to like it to appear cool to potential sexual partners. In live music situations, the guide suggests, the task is to predict the exact point a band becomes popular enough so the front of the stage is the most desired place, rather than the side of an empty semicircle where people are too embarrassed to tread. You may then claim to have been into them before this happened. The problem is this. It's simple to decide what's cool, as one just follows the tastes of the correct music journalist. But music won't stay conveniently in venues where it can be studied and acted upon. It permeates existence, and if you're to use it to appear cool, you must be on high alert at all times. Music journalists are often derided, not least by the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, who quotes Frank Zappa, an exile from Eno 7 who posed for some time as a musician on Earth, who said, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. This loses its power on Iggy Pop Alpha, where the top Saturday night sub-Ether TV show is Strict Le Corbusier Dancing, where the Swiss-French architect Charles-Edouard Genereil, who left Earth in 1965, interprets his work in a series of modern jazz and ballroom pieces. But music journalists are the gatekeepers of music cool, and you must follow. Deciding which music journalist to believe which one is cool is harder, and one must pay attention to the life cycle of a music journalist and stop following them at the correct point. 
as the guide somewhat sneeringly notes that the galaxy's music journalists are all failed guide researchers. They start as guide research hopefuls, then become hip young gunslingers, then finally evolve into newspaper columnists, who spend all their time on Twitter rattling on about being politically homeless as Combrin did a Brexit. But in public, a problem persists. It's not possible to tell exactly what track is playing before you need to react. This creates gaps as a life form needs to decipher exactly which record is playing so it can act appropriately. This is perhaps best explained by what is known as the House of Pain. The House of Pain is what you experience in a bar or nightclub when you hear a familiar and quickly have to decide if you're hearing the Harlem Shuffle by Bob and Earl or Jump Around by the House of Pain. The consequences of getting it wrong, the potential embarrassment and the pure distress caused by eventually hearing jump around by the House of Pain are the cause of approximately 50% of lost cool on Earth. The Harlem Shake, on the other hand, is the dancing that could be passed off as a stretch, which people will often perform until they can tell which one it is. This is all part of the eternal battle between those that would be cool and record companies who are happy to sell any old shit and find it easier to change what's cool rather than discover and promote cool music. To this end, they enlist the help of operatives such as DJs or producers. DJs, or rather one DJ, a white-haired, betrack-suited DJ called Jimmy on Earth in the 1960s, which due to multiverse theory literally was a different time, came up with the idea of having two record decks so that he could start the next song before the previous one had probably finished, leaving dancers no choice but to continue to shake their tail feathers. This attempt to prevent people saying no and to manufacture consent was something DJ Jimmy worked on in other areas of life too, with great personal success. Following on from these masters, your guide researcher notes that modern record producers have attempted to solve the problem of people choosing which songs to like by making all music sound the same these days. No wonder cool people have mostly moved on to mildly satirical podcasts themed around 42-year-old sci-fi comedy properties. There's another Frank Zappa quote, you know, this... Uh... That um, most rock journalism is people who can't write interviewing people who can't talk for people who can't read, uh, which is uh, we've added yeah. to we've added to by um, <laughs> talking, but but being people who can't broadcast uh, recording things for people who aren't listening. The house of pain, pain is a very real pain. Um, I, I think I come at it from exactly the um, opposite position uh, to you, John, in that. Uh, being out and about and several skinfuls in, I would far rather jump around to jump around than do that sort of dad sort of shimmy to the Harlem Shuffle. As as much as I, I like a sort of slightly Boogaloo-esque uh, soul song and I enjoy it, uh, if I'm out on, on what we might now call the Raz, um, I, I would much rather hear House of Pain. Well, I've always been really sniffy. I've always been quite sniffy about the House of Pain. Quite rightly so, I would have thought. But um, when I was doing some research um, for this, I discovered that it was, in fact, produced by a very, very, very uh, good uh, hip-hop producer. And uh, eventually, it just gave the, um, the House of Pain to do it. It was done by uh, DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill who had that uh, thing knocking around for ages and just since he gave it to the house of pain because nobody else wanted it. 
And so I kind of forgive, uh, you know, had he had some different lyrics, it would have been quite good. Ah, is that, is that your, that, that's your beef? You see, John, you, you jump around, mm. you mm-hmm. jump around. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Up, mm-hmm. jump up, and then, please, could you get down? <laughs> could you get down from there? <laughs> However you feel about uh, either of the people involved in what I'm about to say, I'm still going to stand by this. Ooh. There is a cover of Jump Around by House of Pain by Limp Biscuit, which is still one of my... F- He's not incorrect. This exists. St- yes. Which is still one of my favourite tracks ever to dance to in a club. Ever, ever. It's either going to be on the next John Lewis Christmas advert, right? <laughs> no, they did the trampoline last year. <laughs> In the clubs, people weren't quite ready to dance to hip-hop tracks in, in rock clubs, mm. even though that track was an absolute banger. So when it was covered by a rock band and it had that massive jump up, jump up and get down and then it breaks down, that, that drop. Mm-hmm. Like, I've I've never seen people react to like that before or since in any dance club, in any rock club, at any concert, any festival. In any I've amusement never seen people react to it. I love that they just weren't ready, Danny. I love it. Yeah, they just yeah they just weren't ready for Limp Biscuit. I absolutely love that all three of you really don't know anything about music, but from different angles. <laughs> <laughs> Says the man who needs VHS tapes to uh, to to know where to put his fingers. Oh no, no! <laughs> At any one time, we could walk into your house and you're listening to Rennie and Russo. <laughs> Wait, would say, do that again, but say Renato. Is it Rennie and Renata? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get... Yeah, Rene Russo is... Um, she's is she's off of Lethal Weapon. Oh, is that her? Yeah, that's her. So, John, I'm interested in, in the recent attack you made on the character of your three co-hosts. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested in the particular vector through which I am affected by it. I don't know if the others care been massively about what you think about them. Well, Danny, like, but... Danny likes stupid fucking rock music. Mm-hmm. You like fucking stupid skate music. And Mark... Skate music? Yeah, that's what wow. you like. That's, that's, what that's, you what, that's what you like. That's what you like. What do I like, John? What do I like? Mark, Mark me likes now, skate he? music. Mark likes, I don't know, Mark likes essentially like the Baron Knights, but the Baron Knights who claim they're serious, that sort of thing. <laughs> that's that's really accurate. That's really quite apposite. Uh, it's yeah. all about that Chinese chicken, Mark. It, absolutely it is. It is. So let's round things up with uh, my bit of writing, what I've done. Um, uh, it will become, well, it will become obvious at some point uh, in, in the proceedings what this is about. And so I don't, I think I want to bury the lead and uh, and we'll just um, get, get straight onto it. Deep in the heart of the Pancel system, there is to be found a planet called Pogril, whose sentient population consisted of a single tribe, also called the Pogril. They were a pessimistic lot, and with good reason since life on Pogril was pretty punishing. Each day would begin with the sun heaving its way over the horizon, bringing with it the dawn chorus of the Krullian birds, which sounded like an infinite number of ironing boards being opened during a hangover. At some point, the youngest Pogril of the tribe would be sent out to look for water, which, given that the planet was 98% desert, was akin to finding a needle in a balloon factory. 
Many centuries before the starship Heart of Gold caused a quarter of a million breakfasts to materialise on the planet just before its last inhabitants died of starvation, Pogrill was visited by a guide researcher from Sacro Pilia Hensher by the name of Bort Gelding. Utterly appalled at the lack of food or water available to the people of Pogrill, Gelding took it upon himself to spread awareness of the issue. Quite why Gelding didn't just ring for a few pizzas is summed up by a rather condescending maxim about teaching a pogrel to fish, the meaning of which has been lost to time. Upon flying back to Sacro Piliahentia and contemplating a break for the annual festival of the Assumption of St Antwelm, Gelding thought more about the pogrel people and wondered whether they knew it was the time of the festival of the Assumption of St Antwelm and whether anyone should let them know that it was, since this would obviously bring great comfort to the poor, impoverished and clearly primitive people of this famine-stricken planet. And so, with his writing partner Beige Wire and the help of Disaster Area's most talented accountant, Bort Gelding set about writing what would be the galaxy's first ever charity single, with the catchy title, Feed Pogrill, Let Them Know It's the Festival of the Assumption of St Antwelm. As news of Gelding's project began to spread, musician after popular musician lined up to sing a line each. One of the hoopiest singer-songwriters of the bunch, who went by the name Jip Jip, insisted on singing what would later become the iconic line, Well, tonight, let's all just have a really nice time. The song was an inevitable smash and raised millions for Pog Aid, a charity set up largely as a tax haven but with the nominal duty of dispersing profits from the song among the people of Pogrill. This is still the company's mission statement and when they were last reached for comment, they said they'd definitely be getting round to it soon. Meanwhile, the people of Pogrill had no idea their lives had inspired countless covers and re-releases of their charity single, and that a rival supergroup was soon to loom over the musical horizon, formed from four or five rock and roll singers in the neighbouring star system of Jaxophron. This group, going by the name Jaxophron for Pogrill, would release their rival single, We Are The Universe, to greater critical acclaim, but similarly failing to buy even a fishing rod for a single Pogrill, let alone a nice bit of cod. I love that you only get it halfway through. <laughs> no, it, it, that's very skillful to kind of hide the reveal until, until the last possible minute. And then when it dawns, it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's what he that's was amazing. That was a fun one. I, I that that was that was hard. I, I had about three or four false starts trying to think of um, what I was going to write about, and then and then yeah, that one started to become a thing. When Adams gives you the gift of a famine-stricken planet in the uh, uh, a very early um, in in the book, you you've sort of you've you've got to use it. How long did you spend coming up with the um, alien analog name for Majure? Because um, that was spot on. <laughs> that was spot on. Almost, but not entirely like Major. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much the new traumatics drinks dispenser of names. Um, that was about ninety seconds. <laughs> no, but that was that was that was great. I can't do that. Has anybody else got any techniques for this? Um, so my main one at the moment is to uh, look at the names mentioned in any publication you might be reading. Uh, well, I had an easier job because I'm, I'm you know I'm obviously parodying like three very you know i mean bono is probably the the weirdest one in gip gip um yeah but like, talk us through gip gip because <laughs> I, I i tried to pass that 
And I was like, well, it's a funny name, but I don't... It, it's two repeated syllables, right? That, that's basically it, yeah. I try not to go too... Like, Beige Wire is is a little maybe skirting over the line of my acceptable event horizon of how close the name is to the thing you're parodying. Um, and so I didn't want it to be like N- Nabobo. <laughs> Um, um, but you know you knew that you would you'd probably get it because it's you know well tonight thank god it's them instead of you which is so many lines in that song are so grim they're just the 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 lyrics in that song are so grim i i definitely want to get into the lyrics and 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 your sort of nice treatment of it but i I just want to go through these names one last time because just to pin it back to what danny said about that that reveal the most obvious of the three names is the researcher's name. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't get it. <laughs> That's interesting. No, the, the Midjur's name That's is the most obvious. No, what was the researcher's name again? Uh, that is Bort Gelding. <laughs> yeah, so like, as, that, as, soon, as soon as I realised what this was, I had this gelding name in my own. I was like, oh, you didn't. Oh, you didn't do me like that. Mark <laughs> you Stedman. You silly boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it I think in context it makes sense. You but you have to be you have to be able to snap to grid. Um and, yes. and at the beginning of the piece you don't know what grid you're snapping to, so you're exactly, like, what is that's he? exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> but on the lyrics front, so isn't isn't it the fact that famously nobody wanted to do tonight, thank God it's them instead of you, because it was such a crass line. I always thought Bono like he want he he specifically wanted that line. I think he wasn't that famous at the time, was he? This this is the almost this is what kicks you into fame. And I think John, I think you're both right in the sense that he wanted it, and he sensed what it was as the the big sort of mm-hmm. turn in the song. Oh, and he leans on it as well. Like oh, oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. underperform that line, and that's the one that when anyone's singing it, you know, just. Uh, in in uh, in karaoke or you know whatever communally like that's the one that everybody really wants to lean into and it's probably the only line that's the five gold rings of the song it's five gold rings it's the only one we know it, he didn't he didn't huey from fun loving criminals do it in an actual canonical version or just he dished it I, no like uh, huey huey from fun loving criminals in the song perfect day doesn't sing his line he, he he's the only one that he, that that kind of underperforms the whole thing he goes something good yeah Oh yeah, and thus by underperforming, absolutely stands out in the entire song. Like this, like fucking opera singers belting it out, and he kind of phones it in with a something good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if we had time, and I'd I'd like to maybe discuss this in the pub. I'd like to kind of really try and drill down why people hate Bono so much. It's all the Bono. It's all the Bono that because I. <laughs> I really love a couple of U2's albums and I'm trying to think why people hate Bono and like maybe because he spoke to the Pope. No one hates Jack Charlson. I don't think it's as well thought out as that. It's because he's a prick. Yeah, but why? A lot of people are pricks. Well, yeah, but yeah, we hate all pricks. He's just a very well-known prick. I think the glasses indoors thing um, really gave him an air of oh yeah you know i I think i think there's that and he's he's talked about that and like there's a reason for it uh apparently um because he's a prick (laughs) (laughs) it's because he's got a disability john but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh john just high road um he's got he's got an eye thing thing. Oh, all this taking the piss out of Mark. Thank God it's Mark instead of me. 
Well, on that bombshell, that just about wraps it up for that episode. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, thank you to Emma Wright, Editorial Girl, for being the voice of the guide. Uh, you can get more episodes at btlpodcast.com. And of course, if you've got any questions, feedback, ideas for stuff that we should write about, you can email feedback at btlpodcast.com. You'll find us on Twitter at btlpodcast. Um, and Facebook by searching for us if that is a place that you want to spend your internet time. Uh, We will be back before the end of the new year. We are going to ring out 2020 with a Beware of the Leopard Christmas special. So check your feed for that. And of course, uh, btlpodcast.com is where you will find it as well. So until next time, thank you for listening. Share and enjoy. I've started news alert. I've started drinking fucking almond milk. <laughs> You're raping the planet, mate. Yeah, almond milk's terrible. Oh, for fuck. You might as well just have a baby. You might as well just have a baby. Did you, didn't you watch um, The Good Place? That's one of the recurring jokes. I did watch it, but I don't recall that. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I watched The Good Place all the way through and um, right to the end, all of it, even the hour special at the end. And I really liked it at the start. And then I just thought, I just want to find out what the fucking last thing is. Come on, come on, come on. I'm, I'm really loving this new form of podcast where we can watch Mark seed <laughs> like in real time. It's great having <laughs> video, isn't it? it? We, we, we could just only, only imagine the parts where Mark was seething. But now we've called him out on his almond milk addiction, just guzzling addiction. the planet away, fucking loving the almond milk all up and down. It's, it's just, not as bad as listening to uh, Radio Fire. He drinks your almond milk. He drinks it all up. <laughs> we deserve to die. Drink more almond milk, Mark. Come on, guzzle it down. Well, this planet deserves to end itself. I, f- I legitimately hate you now. I'm so angry. <laughs> I'm so angry about this fucking almond milk. There you are in your Cocoa Pops in the morning, burning some tyres. <laughs> Danny, Danny always thinks I'm angry at, at the podcast, and he's always going, oh, that was shade. It's like, no, 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 it's because you can't see me. Like, I am smiling. No, no, now I'm fucking angry. <laughs> so, you know, he's he, really that- angry. The snap, crackle and pop is the snap of orangutan's fingers. You know that. (laughs) 